And good morning again. Happy Mother's Day. If we have not said that enough, we're going to keep saying it a bunch. So if you're here and you're a mother, happy Mother's Day. If you're watching at home, happy Mother's Day to you as well. Uh, thank you to Kevin. I told him this before we started, but uh, I didn't know who was doing spoken word when I started writing this sermon a few weeks ago. And I had Kevin's voice in my head for reading Isaiah. So when I got here and I found out Kevin was doing spoken word, very excited. I just feel like that's what Isaiah sounds like. So it's just good to have a living representation here. Uh, this week we are continuing a two-part series. So continuing and concluding all at the same time. Last week, Kyle was up here. Uh, he spoke uh, his sermon of scared, scar, uh, wounded or scarred, not scared. That's a completely different sermon. That's for another time. Wounded or scarred, talking about the difference between our wounds and what we do with our scars and how we read through the story of Thomas and what does it mean for our life now. Um, my sermon this week is entitled, You Matter Because... And it ends on an ellipsis because it's an incomplete sentence. We're not entirely sure how this one ends because in a lot of ways you have to fill in the rest of it. And I'm going to walk you through what that means uh, throughout the rest of this sermon. But this mini-series that we're doing stems from a, uh, a unit that we're doing downstairs with the youth. Uh, for the spot, we have been doing something about purpose. We've been talking about purpose what their purpose is and, and how purpose works within their lives using this identity of what matters. And so uh, for them, week one, it was discovering that you matter, them, the youth, discovering that the youth matter. Week number two was discovering that others matter. Week number three was discovering that church matters. And week number four, where they concluded, was discovering that our community matters. And at each tier, learning a different story with a different uh, grouping of scriptural readings. And that unit gave Kyle and I the idea to do this mini-series, hoping that we could walk the rest of the church through the same thing and say, you know, these youth downstairs have figured out the answers to all of these questions. Why do they matter? And we thought, well, wouldn't it be nice if we had everybody play that game? What if we all wrestled through that? And so this mini-series was born. With it comes an invitation. That invitation will flesh out later in the sermon, but it's an invitation to be a part of a project that the youth are working on and concluding today. Um, the good thing about going through this again, not just with the youth, is that when you're assessing some of these things, you get to learn a few more things. And uh, trying to figure out how to teach this to a group of highly educated adults changes some of the questions that we ask because it turns out not every question really matters. Not everything really matters, it turns out. Some of the stuff that we did downstairs doesn't necessarily translate in here. And uh, along the way, we tried to figure out how, how do you determine that? Like, is there a mathematical equation to figure out if something matters? And I actually found a chart, which just blew my mind. But of course, the internet's the internet. So of course, I found a chart. If you imagine your x-axis, your x-axis? I was not good at math, Matt. That's why I went into this. X and Y? Cool. Imagine your x-axis is here, and imagine that it's the nature of your question. So if your question is very basic, it's going to be very close to the y-axis. How am I doing so far, Matt? Nailing it. Good. Very basic, then you get detailed, complicated, and nitpicky. And then along the y-axis is the uh, probability you will learn something from the answer that you get from the question. Low is at the bottom, high is at the top. If you can imagine, 
It's very simple. It goes like this. It's just a straight line. The more basic the question, the more likely it is you're going to learn something from it. The more nitpicky your question is, the less likely you're going to learn something from it. And through that, you can derive what matters. And what's fun is I figured out a bunch of things that don't matter. But me being me, I want to share the things that don't matter too because some of them are kind of ridiculous and some of them come with really fun stories. You know what first doesn't matter? Something I saw on TikTok. I should have just said TikTok. Number two. <laughs> no, TikTok probably matters. TikTok probably has a, a purpose. I feel like the youth are like throwing stuff from the balcony now. I'm sorry, TikTok is so awesome, it's so cool. Um, there's something going on on TikTok right now, maybe you have seen this, it may have bled out into other socials. Uh, one of the questions that's being asked right now of couples is the girlfriend will ask of the boyfriend or the wife will ask of the husband, would you still love me if I was a worm? Kensley, have you done that yet in your new marriage? Not yet, put that idea in your head. Any couples tried this one before? Would you still love me if I was a worm? Once again, TikTok doesn't matter. I should have just stopped at that. TikTok is ridiculous. Apparently, this is a whole thing right now. A lot of girlfriends are trying to teach boyfriends that the answer to that question is always what, Matt? Probably yes is the wrong answer. <laughs> Give me another couple, a happy couple. Dan. Still love her if she turned into a worm? She's already a worm is the second worst answer, I think. Good. Let's go with some wisdom. Peter, if Patty ever turned into a worm, would you still love her? Absolutely. Do you want to know why that doesn't matter? You know what the likelihood of your spouse and or girlfriend turning into a worm is? It's probably 0%. So answer that question in the affirmative. Or grab your newlywed and call her a worm and then deal with that in the parking lot later, Dan. <laughs> there are two ways to go there. Number two, the question of if you were on a boat, would you rather fight one bear or two wolves? That question is the exact question that I gave to nine conference officials during my interview as I left La Sierra University. I love that Matt, the Google guy, is like breaking this down. The answer is it doesn't matter because just as likely as your wife turning into a worm, you will not likely be on a boat fighting a bear and or two wolves. But for some reason, in my just about to be graduated, I think I already have this job, I might as well have a little bit of fun, I asked a question of nine officials, what would they choose? You want to guess how many of them answered the question? One, actually. I got a big fat zero, I got one. My ministerial director, who became my ministerial director for about 15 minutes before I left for the seminary and then came here. So don't ask that question in any potential interview for something you actually want. There is no answer. Oh, what did he say? I think he said two wolves. But he was also like 75 years old. So I think he was going to lose either way and wanted to move on to the next interviewee, honestly. 
But the answer is it doesn't matter. These things don't matter. The other day I was having lunch with Kyle and this question came up. Do you think the president has to pay rent to live in the White House? And we almost looked it up. And then when you know what we realized? It doesn't matter. Not everything needs to be Googled. Anybody ever driven through Boulder? Here's a, here's a challenge for you. Where are my Boulder people? Anybody live in Boulder? Sandy, maybe we'll have this conversation. Okay, let's talk with just inside, and then you'll get to test this. Have you ever tried to figure out what is actually playing on 104.7 FM? When you're driving home today, just go ahead and hit that tuner. There's nothing playing on 104.7. But you know when you push the like advance button and it goes to the next station and the next station and the next station, it skips all the stuff that doesn't have anything on it, right? Except 104.7. And I don't know why. But guess what? It does not matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter. But these are just fun little exercises that we do. Have you ever read 1 Corinthians? Have you been to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, where Paul says, in my previous letter, I wrote, da-da-da-da-da-da? But we're in 1 Corinthians. What happens in the other book? We're just missing a Corinthian. There's like a zero Corinthian. But you know what really matters about that question? Nothing. Because we have the Holy Scriptures. We have this thing that is set aside for us to read, and the stuff that's in there is the important stuff. The stuff that's not in there, you can leave to spill. Whether or not the president pays rent really doesn't matter. What really happens on 104.7 probably does not matter. TikTok does not matter. Then there are medium questions. There are questions that might matter within a specific context, like this one. Is this a good bowl? Should I buy this bowl? It depends, right? Is it a good cereal bowl? Is this a spaghetti bowl only? Is it too wide? Is it too heavy? These are medium questions. Does this really matter? I don't know, kind of. It kind of matters. But it's a, weird, it's a weird situation to find yourself asking medium questions along the way, which is why I want to spend the rest of our time talking about the things that do matter. But I want to make sure we levy that against the things that now you know don't matter. We've walked up to them, we've seen them, we know now they don't matter. So let's spend the rest of our time talking about the things that do. Question number one, is what I do worthy? Is what I do worthy? I have to ask that question all the time. Somebody's going to ask that question in an email to me saying, Dear Pastor Jay, the first seven minutes of your sermon, was that worthy? And then I'm going to have to answer, no, probably not. It didn't matter. But the rest of it hopefully does. The rest of what we do together should be worthy. And I hope you ask that question as well. Is what you do worthy? And every once in a while, it's hard to tell the difference. It's hard to tell whether or not certain things you do are worthy. Is everything I do worthy? I don't know. We run a thing here called Monkey Butler. Monday evenings, we open up the community room to our community. No one from this church attends this, this event that we do. And it's weekly. And I teach four hours out of our community room, comedic improv, for people in Boulder who want to come by, learn some, a new skill, and build a community around it. I'll be honest, sometimes I'm not sure it's worthy. Sometimes it just feels like a thing that we do. Sometimes it just feels like chuckle, 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 see you next week, and I don't know that we're doing anything. 
But I was reminded yesterday that Monkey Butler is worthy in ways that do not show up on the curriculum. Yesterday evening, I went to a wedding. At the wedding that I was invited to by the groom, I got to watch he and his bride give their vows to each other, wherein both of their vows included the word improv seven times. Monkey Butler showed up three times. Ben, the groom, met his wife through a friend who went to Monkey Butler, Denver, where she now teaches the next generation. She invited a bunch of friends over. She knew Ben because Ben started coming to Monkey Butler in Denver and said, you should come to this thing at my house. This woman, who also is part of a running club, invited her other friend, who runs, put them into the same room, and there a runner and an adult improv performer met. And two years later, they got married in Morrison, Colorado. In his wedding party were two other Monkey Butler teachers who had gone through Monkey Butler for the last four and a half years. At the wedding, I sat next to two other Monkey Butler teachers and leaders who were all invited because of this connection that we have. His wife doesn't go to improv, doesn't enjoy improv, but knows improv because that's how she met her husband. I don't know that that's ever what we planned on, but it is what happened. And because of it, it was a beautiful, humbling moment to be a part of something worthy in ways that we couldn't comprehend when we put this together. There have been times in this space here in Boulder where during COVID, while we were all locked down, there were seven people who were sitting in our community room around Thanksgiving who all came to the same conclusion. I don't get to go home to see my family and my family can't come home to see me. So I think I'm having Thanksgiving by myself. Seven of those people came to Monkey Butler, sat in our community room and made a plan to not let that happen. And they all together, strangers, except for the fact that they come to this church on Monday night, got together and had Thanksgiving. And they built a community around giggle, 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 giggle. We'll see you next week. Is what you do worthy? Are the things that you do worthy in that way? Are they worthy in a way that you have to tear them down layer by layer until you find this thing? I think what we do is worthy. As a matter of fact, we have a show tonight. If you want to see this community in action, our level two performers, which means they're intermediate players. That means that at minimum, they had to come to 35 weeks of instruction here at the church. 35 straight weeks here on a Monday. I'm not sure everyone who's a member here makes it to church 35 weeks. They do, and they're here, and they're building a community together. If you want to see that community in action, you're welcome to join us tonight at 7.30 to see what they have been working on to build this friendship that they have now. It's a beautiful thing. And because of it, I am learning more and more that giggle, giggle, giggle is still a worthy task. Is what you do worthy? Question number two. Am I contributing to something that impacts the world in a positive way? Maybe it's not you, but something you're doing, something you're contributing to is allowing something positive to happen. Have you ever asked the question, where does my dollar go when I put it into the tithe tray? Anybody ever asked that? Just me and Peter. All right, Peter, you and me are going to have this conversation. Nobody else gets to listen, all right? 
Turns out I know the answer because we went to a meeting a couple of weeks ago where they broke this down by like percentage. And so if you put $1 into the offering tray and it's, it's loose, it goes to the church. If it goes into a tithe envelope, it goes to the Rocky Mountain Conference. Now, those of you who are not Adventist, I just said a bunch of words that don't make sense. So imagine that if you put a dollar into a tray, it goes to the pocket of our treasurer who's hanging out in the back and she figures out where to put it. If you send it in in an envelope, it goes to our bosses, I guess. The bosses then have a treasurer and they figure out what to do with it. Here's the answer. For every dollar, 72.4% or 72.4 cents goes to the conference. They keep 72.4 cents of your tithe. Three cents goes to Union College. Nine cents goes to the Mid-America Union. For the non-Adventists, those would be the boss's boss. So the boss's boss gets nine cents. And then 15.6 cents goes to the NAD and the GC. And again, for the non-Adventist, the union is the worker of the division and the GC is the king. I'm going to get in trouble for saying that one. Top all the way down to the local church. I meant that with no sense of politics whatsoever. Just make that clear. So that's where your dollar goes. Your dollar goes in that section. But then it becomes the question, this big chunk, 72.4 cents goes to the conference. What do they do with my money? Says the voice in my head. And Peter, I can tell you, because they also had a second slide. Turns out 32.4 cents goes back to the local church. So we give them the money, and then they send it back to us in the form of me. I get paid to do this, and your money, 32.4 cents of that, goes in my pocket. So that's how you know I'm rich. <laughs> so give to local offering and a tithe. Works out for everybody. 11.5 cents goes to education. That means Sandy's paycheck potentially gets paid a little bit here. Rebecca's paycheck gets paid in some of this. 11.4% goes to retirement so that by the time I get to the end of this, I can keep living without having to work at Starbucks at 80 years old. 9.7 cents goes to administration. I think that's where Ray comes in. So Ray gets 7.9% of your money. So yeah, thumbs up from Ray. And then 9.2 cents goes to assorted ministries. So it just gives to the things that the Rocky Mountain Conference does. That is where your 72.4 cents goes. Does that seem worthy? Does that seem like it's contributing to something positive? For the most part, it seems like it to me. I don't know that there's anything in there that we would need to second guess. The question is, where do your contributions go? Are they doing something worthy? Are they doing something that makes the world a better place and moves it in a positive direction? And then comes the third question, the big one, the one that we're going to land on for a while today. And the question is, why do I matter? Why do you matter? And that one's different because I can't necessarily break it up into dollars and cents. I can't break it up into something I've seen on TikTok. I can't break it up into what goes into a bowl and whether or not it's good and in what conditions. The question is, do you matter? And it's something that our high school kids and high school kids that we're learning from have been asking throughout the last couple of years. Why do I matter? And you really have to wrestle with that in order to get to a place where it makes sense, where you have something you can actually stand on. Because sometimes you'd be like, I matter because... And then you get a little caught up. 
because you have to say, well, is it this? And does it have to fit in a sentence? And usually the answer is yes. If it comes to a singular punctuation point, you've answered the question. But there's a high school, Chelsea High School, that is trying to figure this out for their kids in their high school level. At the beginning, they started something called hashtag why you matter photograph project. And there, they built a website, which is whyyoumatter.org, to try and figure out how they can promote a positive school environment where all students are heard and seen and loved. And in order to do that, they all had to fill out a whiteboard that started with, I matter because, and they could fill in whatever they wanted. In year one, they did this as a response to a tragic loss. It was in order to help students manage their grief. In year two, they realized we have a serious mental health issue and we need to continue this through. And they've done it every year since. And now, Boulder Church is a part of that project as well. And they made a video that I'm gonna share with you now. Uh, if uh, Linda or Emmanuel, whoever's running it, this is the Why You Matter campaign. We're gonna walk this through so you can see what Broken these kids say. living life on the merry-go-round. And you can't find a fighter. But I see it in you, so we gon' walk it out. Move mountains. We gon' walk it out and move mountains. Silence is a quiet, and it feels like it's getting hard to breathe. And I know you feel like dying, but I promise we'll take the world to its feet. Move our tents, bring it to its feet.
question, why do you matter? In order to figure that out, it takes participation and a willingness to be introspective, to look at yourself in reflection, to try and figure out what you see when you look in the mirror. And so I ask you again, why do you matter? The spot, our youth, are participating in the same thing. You saw these shots at the end where the school had them papered up everywhere. We're going to do the same thing. We're going to take black and white photos. We're going to do it today. Kyle is downstairs prepping for that right now. They're going to take their pictures in black and white, and we're going to post them up throughout the church downstairs. And you're welcome to be a part of that as well. As you go through this, as you participate in this project, and you figure out the answer of why you matter, we want you to be a part of the wall because we think it's important for these things to continue to happen to help the mental well-being of everybody. Because assuredly, there was somebody up there that you thought, man, me too. Or man, I'm so, that's so cool that he knows that about themselves, that she knows that about herself. I wish I had that confidence. And that gives you the confidence to maybe try it for yourself. We'll be putting up this wall throughout the next couple of weeks, so if you are interested, come talk to me. Come talk to Kyle. Talk to one of the youth and say, hey, I, I got an idea. We'll get you a whiteboard. We've got a camera ready. We will figure out the answer to the question together as a church, why we matter. And the good thing is this. It's the Sabbath, which means it is time already for rest and reflection. So all I'm doing is giving you something else to work on within the set you're already moving within. Why do you matter? As you sit now with Jesus in this time and you reflect on that, why do you matter? And for some, that may be a tough task, so I don't want to just throw that out lightly. I don't want to just say, and then you'll figure it out, you'll come in, we'll write it down, and it will be beautiful. Because for some of you right now, that is a difficult thing to answer. Maybe you are struggling right now because you feel like, I don't. So it's going to be hard for me to write something down. Or maybe you feel medium about the question. Maybe in your mind you're like the bowl, the bowl situation from before. Maybe you're like a bowl. Do I matter? Does this matter? Does this matter really at all in the grand scheme of things? So I ask you again, does this bowl matter? What about this one? What about now? Does it still matter? 
I don't think I'm putting spaghetti in that one anymore, Kensley. It's broken. It's not as good as this one, right? And maybe this is where one of you is right now. You could be this one, but you feel more like that one. You feel more like shards of a bowl, a busted up bowl. A lot of people will say of that bowl, it's garbage now. Throw it out. It doesn't matter. We'll move on to the next one. It has no use. But bowls like that, if used correctly, turn into bowls like this. I broke this one in my office three days ago. And then I got to put it back together because I learned about a Japanese art and a Japanese philosophy called kintsugi. And kintsugi is incredibly important and radically beautiful because ultimately it battles against broken bowls. It battles against this idea that when we say, does that still matter? And somebody says, no, this bowl stares it back in the face. Kintsugi as a practice is understood to be the art of repairing broken pottery by mending the areas of breakage with a lacquer dusted in gold. And it's forever changed. And it's forever better and so much cooler. Does this bowl matter? Oh, yeah. This bowl definitely matters. But so did the first one and so does the second one. Kintsugi as a philosophy treats breakage and repair as part of the history of an object rather than something that you disguise. And so you wear these scars proudly, like the bowl, scarred from its trauma, bravely and boldly displaying the repairs from its wounds, reminding us of its beauty without being ashamed, without looking at its failing parts and disguising its wounds. So which one of these bowls are you? Where are you today? Are you whole? Did you come in today ready to take on the world knowing that you were fully put together? If so, amen, hallelujah. But maybe you're wounded. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're actively broken. You are not put together. You have not yet been mended. Maybe that's you. Or maybe you're this beautiful bull, scarred and beautiful, knowing that you've taken a hit, knowing you can be repaired, proving it out loud that your scars are beautiful. If so, how do you want to continue to treat your breakage and your repair? Maybe you're not sure. But then again, maybe today is a good day to discover the answer as you explore the question, why do I matter? So right now, whether you sit in this pew as you reflect looking at yourself with confidence or with contempt, know this much. Jesus meets us as much in our grief and in our sorrow as he does in our successes. Jesus meets us in our grief and our sorrow as much as he meets us in our successes. And he desires to meet with you wherever you are today, right now. For as many examples as we see in Scripture where Jesus goes to a church and he does something to a great success, 
where we see in the book of Matthew. I'm reading out of chapter 4, verse 23. It says, Jesus was going throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every kind of sickness among the people. Amen. Hallelujah. Jesus knows Kintsugi. But inasmuch as there are examples there, there are also examples of Jesus working within struggles and sorrow and grief. We see it in John chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. Jesus went into the temple of God and cast out all of them that bought and sold in the temple and overthrew the tables of money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called the house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. I have to be honest, church, I cannot wait to see that table that Jesus flipped someday. I cannot wait to run my fingers over the top of it and feel the gold lacquer that Jesus himself spread to restore that table that he flipped. Because just like the scars that he presents to Thomas, he doesn't always fix everything back to the way it was. Sometimes it's helpful to show those scars. And just like a church that feels like it was rejected by Christ himself, Christ is also in their grief and in their sorrow, knowing he was the one that just flipped their table. And he can also be the one to set it back on its feet and repair it back to greater glory than before. I imagine us running our hands over that table, whenever we get the chance to do it, will be a lot like Thomas, running his fingers over the scars in Christ's side and in his hands. To see, to feel, to touch, to experience the tangible reminder of the restorative healing that Christ offers to the things and to the people that matter to him and his kingdom. Peace be with all of us in recognizing that moment is for all of us as we are invited closer to him. So as you reflect on the question of why you matter, I urge you, wherever you are today, to start here first. The premise of this sermon is that you matter. You matter. And if you're challenged by that, and you don't have to raise your hand if that one's a hard one today. But if you're challenged by that, then let me ask you another question. For those of you struggling with that, does God matter? Because if God matters, then there's no argument to be had as to whether or not you matter. We know that because Kevin read it to us this morning. We know that in his holy word, these scriptures that are set aside for us to read and to be reminded of our place in his kingdom, Isaiah 49. Kevin gave us the first four verses, but I'm going to trudge through a bunch more of it because there is beauty in this book. And it's a reminder for all of us. It says, listen, far-flung islands, pay attention, you faraway people. God put me, put you to work from the day you were born. From the moment you entered the world, he named you. He gave you speech that would cut and penetrate. He kept his hand on you to protect you. He made you his straight arrow and hid you in his quiver. He said to you, you're my dear servant through whom I will shine. And Isaiah being Isaiah, and just like you may be challenged, may be that bull when he is writing this story. Isaiah says, but I've worked for nothing. 
I have nothing to show for a life of hard work. And God in his instant and infinite wisdom gives Isaiah this reminder that I give to you today. Nevertheless, Isaiah says, I'll let God have the last word. I'll let him pronounce his verdict. And to that, God says, when the time's ripe, I answer you. When victories do, I help you. I form you and I use you to reconnect the people with me, to put the land in order, to resettle families on ruined properties. I tell prisoners, come on out, you're free. And those huddled in fear, it's all right, it's safe now. There will be food stands along the roads and picnics on the hills. Nobody hungry, nobody thirsty. Shade from the sun, shelter from the wind. For the compassionate one guides them and takes them to the best springs. And so heavens raise the roof, earth wake the dead, mountains send up cheers. God is comforting his people. He has tenderly nursed his beaten up, his beaten down people. And then, as if doubt hasn't been defeated enough, Isaiah writes, but Zion said, I don't get it. God has left me. My master has forgotten that I even exist. And God, again, in his infinite wisdom, responds, can a mother forget the infant at her breast and walk away from the baby that she bore? But even if mothers forget, I'd never forget you. Never. Look, I've written your name on my hands. The walls you're rebuilding are never out of my sight. Your builders are faster than your wreckers. The demolition crews are gone for good. And sensing that people still don't believe, the master God says, look, I signal to the nations. I raise my flag to summon the people. Here they'll come. Women carrying your little boys in their arms. Men carrying your little girls on their shoulders. Kings will be your babysitters. Princesses will be your nursemaids. And they will offer to do your drudge work. Scrub your floors. Do your laundry. You'll know then that I am God. No one who hopes in me ever regrets it. And there Isaiah concludes the chapter with this reminder from God. God says, I'm the one who's on your side, defending your cause, rescuing your children. I, God, have saved you, the mighty one of Jacob. I say again, you matter. You may not yet understand why but you matter all the same. For those who know the answer as to why you matter, I encourage you to share it. Write it down, take a picture, tell somebody. If you don't know the answer, then I invite you to use this Sabbath day to wrestle through it, to explore it, to discover the answer for yourself, sitting with and near your God. Unfortunately, for those of us struggling through that, it may mean, like Thomas, sticking your finger into some wounds. But by doing so, you will begin the process of healing. Challenge yourself today, as Christ did Thomas, to stop doubting and believe that you matter. May the light of that reality bring you comfort and confidence today and every day. Peace be with you.